glad you're here. Happy New Year. Happy post-Christmas. You dropped something, Jen. All right. Thank you, worship team. So, uh, I would like to do something about, you know, after the new year, you kind of do the whole new thing, resolutions, what are people wanting to change? It's a good time for when people say, I'm going to make these real changes in my life. And I always say, just try to live better and make small incremental changes. And people will tell me, I'm going to be at church every week or whatever. And I'm like, that would be great, but let's just be realistic. Make small incremental changes. And then you're much more likely to stick with it. And um, usually I do a sermon on being new, but um, I was actually doing a little internet study and um, they say, or people say, I don't know who they are. I, I read these studies and I'm always like, how did they word the question? I always want to know, how did you word the question? Who did you ask? You know, because if this is Americans, I wasn't asked, and I am an American. Um, I don't know if you ever feel that way about like when you see a political poll or something like that. You're like, no, that can't be true. But I read this study, and people say they are more tired in the month of January than any other month of the year. Do any of you guys ever feel tired post-holidays? Oh, wow. Usually only like three people will raise their hand. You guys had a surprisingly strength to raise your hand for being so tired. Um, (laughs) I figured nobody would raise their hands because usually I only get about four people in the room to, but yeah, you'd think you'd be too tired to. They say this is the the time of year when people say they're the most tired. And I think there's a few things that go along with that. I think you're physically tired because you've just been through a lot, but I think you're emotionally drained. I think sometimes we become spiritually drained because we've put so much focus on the birth and the advent and that kind of thing for the last few months that it literally just spiritually, we're like tired. And we don't want to be tired. We don't want to live our life that way. But today's message is really about recovery. Recovery and this week and next week is, it's leading us into who I am in Christ. So if you wonder, where is he going with this? This week and next week are leading us into a series on who am I? Who does Christ say that I am. And when we understand that, then we'll be able to better live out what we claim we believe. And uh, so I have this one titled, do you remember the old Rocky and Bullwinkle episodes? Anybody old enough to remember those? At the end, they would always say, tune in next week for, and then they'd have two alternative ridiculous titles. That's what this is. So this is titled, When Life Gets You Down, How to Get Back Up, or Approaching the Uncertainty with Positivity by Faith. You choose which title works better for you. So either when life gets you down, how to get back up, or approaching the uncertainty with positive, with positivity by faith. So just like they used to always have two titles, you have your choice of what you want to choose to call this one today. When I was, uh, when my kids were young, and I was a newer parent, you know, they get overly tired. And when your kids get overly tired, it really begins to wear on your nerves. Your frustration level, at least for me, would grow. And... Um, I would then become, it would try my patience when they were overly tired. And I had these unrealistic expectations. The problem was, when they were kids, I still wanted them to act like adults. And in all fairness to me, my daughter, at age 18 months, was already reasoning and logic, and we would get in these arguments. And my wife would say, don't argue with her. And I'd be, her logic is flawed. She's like, she shouldn't even have logic at 18 months. (laughs) Nonetheless, she's got a flaw in hers, and I'm going to correct it. And that's how my relationship with my daughter went. And then my son came along, who was just this happy-go-lucky 
kid who liked to be a kid. And I wasn't used to that either because that's not who my daughter was. And so we'd have these discussions. And I had this thing that I would say. And I would say it to them often. When they'd want to stay up late, when they'd want to watch a late movie or do something, I'd say, okay, but you have to be able to function tomorrow. And I carried this over when I was a youth pastor into when we'd go to camps or retreats or overnighters. It's fine with me if you do that, but you have to be able to function tomorrow. And if you can't function well the next day, then I'll really crank it back on how late you get to stay up. Because I want you to be able to function. I want you to be able to thrive. I want you to be able to do things. But when we're tired physically, but also spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, we're not able to thrive. We're not able to thrive as who God created us to be. We're not able to thrive in our relationships. We're not able to thrive at work. We don't even want to be at church because we feel like it's just one more thing I have to do. And instead of it bringing us joy and bringing us life, we view it as, well, I've got to get that box checked or somebody's going to be upset with me. So I show up, I put myself there. If I can make it five minutes late and leave the second amen as said, I can get home and do what I want to do, which is just sleep. And it becomes a cycle, and the danger in that cycle is it doesn't free us to fully live in the moment and be engaged with our family and engaged with our spiritual life. What it does is it becomes a cycle, but then I'm avoiding family. I'm avoiding the spiritual things. I'm avoiding the things I need to do because I can't seem to catch up. So when we're tired physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, here's some of the things we begin to do. We allow our feelings to take over. I'm not saying don't experience feelings. If you know me at all, I'm a big, be in touch with your feelings. Understand your feelings. Express feelings. But 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 7, 5, 2, 5 verse 7 says this, for we live by faith, not by sight. When we allow feelings to take over, we're no longer living by faith. We're living by what we can see. Whatever I see, whatever's right in front of me, that's what becomes most important. Instead of living my life in the fullness of what God created. We begin to allow what is going to happen, in other words, worry, takes this place. Because this could happen, or this could happen, or this could happen. And I begin to walk in this place of not experiencing God, but in fearing what might happen. And if I'm so obsessed with that, then I'm not able to experience what he wants for me today. The fullness of what he wants. The joy that he wants to bring into my life. Does that mean there's never trials? No. But if I'm so caught up in the emotion of things that I'm not walking in faith, then my experience isn't reality. It's only what I feel right in this moment. Learning to put faith in something greater than myself. Growth. The word is consistent. The word of God is consistent. Growth means I'm going to put my faith in what it says in here, not in what I can accomplish. The word is consistent over and over and over. You may not like things that are written in here, but it's consistent. God is consistent. God is love. The very definition and nature of him is love, and that's consistent. We don't always see that when we look at Old Testament. I've heard people misuse and abuse scripture to make a point. But the reality is, if we look at the nature of God, he is consistent. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not just something that we say. It's something that we hold to. Because if he's not, 
If he's inconsistent, then my faith is meaningless. But if I'm going to put my faith into something, I've got to put it into who he is and what the word says. I can't be driven by the, from moment to moment by what I'm feeling. Because there's going to be days when I'm mad. There's going to be days when I'm sad. And those are real emotion. But I can't let that make my determining factor. That can't be how I decide what I'm going to do or how I'm going to live. Because that's inconsistent. Something good happens, my emotions are great. Something bad happens, then I'm ruined for the day. You can't live that way. You will always be exhausted if you try to live that way. But when I begin to live with this idea in mind that I am who God says I am, I am who I am in Christ, no matter the external circumstances, no matter what storm I face, no matter what disease I have, no matter what's going on in my relationship with my child or my parent, no matter what's going on in the relationships at work around me, I am who God says I am. And when I begin to believe that and live that out, then it's not about the emotion that I'm feeling right now. It's about the reality of who I know God to be. Number two, when I respond out of exhaustion and out of tiredness, I want to take control. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Wait, let's read that second part again. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your is your strength, but you would have none of it. We want to do it our way. We want to be in control because if I'm not in control, that means I have to trust something outside of me. I have to depend on God. I might have to repent for my wrong actions, but it's only then that I'm going to find that rest that I'm seeking. I'm exhausted. I'm tired, but I find that rest in him when I'm willing to not be the one in control. It's hard to not be in control. I'm a person who likes things a certain way. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. You know why? Because I feel safer that way. It lowers my anxiety level, takes away my stress. But the reality is, that's not really letting God be sovereign. It's me taking it away. These things are rejected as a society. Society will tell you rest is overrated. I'll sleep when I'm dead. They talk about the side hustle. I've read several things this week specifically about hobbies, about finding pleasure in leisure activities, and about rest. And interestingly enough, when I was already working on this, I read this long article somebody had written about the fact that millennials don't have hobbies. They have side hustles and they have ways to make more money, but they don't have hobbies. And the reason that is, is because our society has told them, if you're not doing something to be productive, you're wasting your time. And I thought, I I look and I go, wow, that is so sad. It's true. I fully believe what the article said, that that's why they don't. But it's sad. Instead of just doing things for the pleasure and joy in doing them, what we've done is we've taken out anything that's pleasure and joy if it's not producing something. Busyness makes us feel important. Does not matter what I'm doing as long as I'm being productive. 
The backlash of that is a generation that cannot find that motivation to do anything because everything seems hopeless. The whole failure to launch idea, the fact that kids grow up and they can't get out of their parents' house is because they're never going to achieve or accomplish as much as what they think you want them to in their mind, so why bother trying? And it's led to an entire generation before they've ever even been given a chance feeling like they're a failure. And we do that because we can't find rest and we can't follow the scripture that says, hey, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Sabbath keeping it holy was not so that you had one more rule on you. It was so that you could find rest in him. He looks and he says, the Sabbath is a gift. But we look at it as, well, I should be doing something. And so we go to work all day and we work extra hours even though we're on a salary, but we still got to put in our 50 to 60 hours a week so that we feel like we're earning it. Then we go home and either we're so exhausted that we don't even have a conversation with our spouse or it turns into an argument about who works harder. Instead of resting and basking in the joy that we should find and in the comfort we should find within family. And we want to achieve more. And achieving isn't a bad thing. I'm not anti-achieving. Go and achieve. But stop having an impossible standard for yourself and for others to live up to and viewing others as less than you because you don't see it the same. We want rest. We want to feel rested. But we don't want other people to view us as less than them. I used to believe that if I just worked hard enough, I could make this church well, not just this church, but anywhere along the line that I've been at, that I could make the ministry flourish if I just worked a little bit harder, if I just did a little bit more. There was a time in my life that I routinely worked 60 plus hours a week because I was going to make it happen. It didn't mean that I didn't trust God, but I was going to make it happen. And in the midst of that, I crashed and I burned and I burned out and I ended up falling apart emotionally and spiritually. And what I learned as I put the pieces back together were I wasn't even, not only was I not finding rest, that even in my rest, I felt guilt and I felt shame because I should be doing something. And I would tell myself, I got to do more. I got to do more. And I remember being with my family one day and the whole time we were out picking apples at this orchard, I was thinking of all the things I should be doing. Instead of enjoying the moment, and eating apples, and whatever else it was we were supposed to be doing at the orchard, I was thinking about all the things I could be doing. I look back, and I think, what a missed opportunity. What a missed opportunity to bask in a moment of joy and simplicity. There was a time I asked this, this person if we could get together and have lunch. This was just a few years ago. And, and they were like, no, I, I work all day. And I was like, oh, well, why don't we go to breakfast before you go to work? And they were like, I get up early. And I was like, doesn't bother me. I'll, I'll meet you early. And they were too busy. They kept saying, no, I'm too busy. And then they literally said these words. I don't think you understand how important my job is. Obviously, I don't. Why don't you explain that to me over lunch? (laughs) 
that person eventually, sadly, they left the church. They just could not handle someone like me who wanted to be in their life that much. I wasn't offended. I was actually genuinely sad for this person. They saw themselves so important that they didn't want to engage with people. I wasn't the only one they didn't want to engage with. I found that out later, but I thought, how much emptiness is this person going to feel when they finally sit down and realize, I got nothing. You guys, I want to tell you today, I want you to accomplish. I want you to achieve. Believe me, I'm highly dependent. My salary is highly dependent on you, believe, on you achieving and supporting this church. I get that. I, I'm, I'm aware of how the American economy works. Sometimes I wish I was in Norway or Sweden where the government gives the church based on how many people show up. That's fine. I'd be great with that. But at the same time, it can't be about that. That can't be our quest for that next dollar, for that next accolade, for that next thing. Am I saying don't work? No. Work and work hard. But find rest. Find rest. Find deserved rest and earned rest. You know what feels really great? This summer, I was back with my son on a little road trip. And we spent the day, and we worked for about four or five hours cutting up wood and cutting trees and splitting and stacking wood. And it was literally four or five hours, and it was in the heat. And that's not, I know that there are people who do that for, you know, 12-hour days. I get it. But we're on vacation, and we walk down, and we're covered in, you know, sawdust and grit and sweat. And we walk down to the lake, and I just put out this inflatable, and I just flopped on it. And I laid there for probably 45 minutes. I think I, I basically was falling asleep. And then I remember thinking, if I fall asleep, I'm going to drown. <laughs> so I jumped off in the water. And it felt so good and so refreshing. Because I felt like, not I deserve anything, but we worked hard and we earned this time to just sit in the water. To just play. To just be. And to just rest. It was a beautiful thing. Thing. It was this spiritual moment. It really was. It was this spiritual moment where I was understanding what God was saying about the refreshingness of rest. You guys, that's what I want for you. I want that refreshingness of rest. But when, when I'm tired, I allow my feelings to take over. I try to take control. The third thing I do is I allow negativity to take root because I think my situation's never going to get any better. It doesn't matter how much I work. I've told you before, the American statistic is everybody says if they just made 10% more than whatever they made, they'd be living well. That's what they say. If I just had 10% more, I feel, well, I feel mine's about 28% more, but I'm, you know, I'm above average. But people just believe if I just had this much more, then my life would be comfortable. And so we try to sell a little more or do a little more or work a little harder. And again, those things aren't bad. But when I'm always on this quest for just a little more, then I'm never going to rest in that satisfaction. And then this feeling of, I can't do it, I'll never be enough. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22 says this, For the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has appointed us in God, who also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts, a guarantee. Did I read the wrong verse? Okay, good. 
It was slightly different words. We allow negativity to take root in us. God owes us nothing. But as a society, people believe if God exists, then he owes me something. If God existed, bad things wouldn't happen. But when good things happen, woo, I'm a lucky person. I get a good spot at the mall, I'm blessed. But if I don't, well, then God doesn't, isn't really there. How does this work? How do we have this sliding mentality that God can't be real if it doesn't always go good for me? If things don't make me happy, God can't really be there. And so I then allow this negativity to become what it is in my life. But see, God is faithful and God is good, but God is not your personal butler. He's not there to make sure everything you do or want is met immediately. And too many of us want the giant slot machine, the big Santa Claus in the sky, and if it doesn't meet my criteria, then God can't be real. And so I'm going to walk away from the church and I'm going to walk away from these things because God's not real because I didn't get what I wanted. And I want free will, but not when bad things are done by other people to me. That's not fair. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, irregardless or regardless of what it, how it affects other people. I want to walk in my sin, knowing that I can get free repentance, and then God's going to give me more stuff. And we do that because we don't really have a faith that says God is good and God is consistent. So I live how I want right now, what makes me happy. And if it doesn't make me happy, if it doesn't bring me joy, then I cast it aside. Will we learn to trust him? It's a matter of faith, not certainty. There is no guarantee. And we're looking for a guarantee that he neither owes us nor promises us. Will we trust him? See, this requires a change in our thought process. Society says be self-sufficient, or another half of society says let the government take care of that. Those are the two things. You've got to be self-sufficient. I'm saying be God-sufficient. Take full engagement with every opportunity he gives you. Bless those who curse you. Be a vessel of blessing to others. And allow God to reign in your life. Don't let the pettiness separate you relationally from people. Are you going to have to overlook things? Yes, and I'm not talking about abuse, but I can't tell you how oftentimes I see people that are literally at war with each other within the same family, within the same church, within the same workplace over stupid and small things. But it really is because they don't want God to really deal with that thing. Jeff, you don't know what they said to me. You're right, I don't. I don't care either. Let's just be honest. Because it's not unforgivable doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it's painless, might require more on my part than I want to give, but Jeff, they did this. I, I don't care. Because in Christ, you've done so many things that were worse, and yet he looks at you and goes, your sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. To avoid allowing negativity to take root, I have to learn to lean into God in every situation. Next week, I'm going to talk about positivity toward what lies ahead. If you're wanting to read ahead, John 2, 1 through 10 will be our scripture passage for that. And the question is, 
Next week, I'm going to ask is, will we do what Jesus says to do? But right now, my three questions for you today are, what is my approach to spiritually being tired? If I'm spiritually tired, what am I willing to do about it? Number two, do I recognize the patterns that lead to fatigue? Am I doing too much or am I just not doing the right things? Because sometimes, I don't think we are doing too much. I just don't think we're focused on doing the right things. And then the harder question is, am I willing to change those patterns? Am I willing to change the patterns that are unhealthy in my life? Because, man, that's hard. Recognizing is one thing. Cleaning it up and changing it, that's a whole different realm and arena. I hope you made some resolutions. I guess I don't care. If you did, I hope you keep your resolutions. I hope you change for the better. If you didn't, that's fine too. But take time to self-evaluate and ask yourself those questions. Ask yourself these questions. What patterns am I allowing to create a sense of negativity? What am I doing that's making me so tired? And am I doing the right things? Because I've been given opportunity from the very God creator of the universe to have Sabbath and to have rest. Why don't I want to walk in that? Sometimes you start to unpack this and you go, but Jeff, my dad did this 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, and since then I have known that I have to work, work, work. You're trying to find your worth in something. Stop it. He looks at you and says, you're my child. You don't have to do that. Does that mean we never serve? No, he calls us to serve. He calls us to do for others. But not out of our exhaustion out of the rest that we find in him, I'm given opportunity to do that for others. Father God, I thank you for the idea of Sabbath, and I thank you that in the midst of our exhaustion, in the midst of our tiredness, which was of our own making, you give us a promise and a hope. God, let us not become weary in well-doing, but let us walk free from that in your name. Amen. Today is Communion Sunday. And uh, here at Gathering Place, we have an open table, which means anybody's welcome to come and partake. I invite all of you to, to be a part of this. Uh, in just a moment, they're going to dismiss you from the back to the front. And I'm going to invite you to come up, break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and take it right there, and then make your way back to your seat. But the reason we do this, just so that you understand, this is not our salvation. This is remembering that we can't, we can't connect with God aside from a mediator. Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby, lived as a human, physically died and came back in a literal bodily resurrection. And in the process of all of that, he never gave up his deity as the son of God. And so he lived a perfect life so that you and I we can have communion, connection with him. And the reason we have an open table is this. Neither myself nor any other human has the right to deny you that moment of remembrance that he made.
And I'm not here to criticize another church, but if you've ever been told you're not worthy or you can't because you haven't, that, that was wrong teaching and wrong theology. He looks and says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. But he doesn't say there's a bunch of other things. People misquote one portion where Paul's talking about taking it in an unworthy manner and they spread it and created a theology around it. I'm like, you're taking that one thing out of context. Everybody is invited. I don't care your race, your gender, your socioeconomic status. I don't care your personal, whatever baggage you're carrying, you're welcome to leave it and set it down and you still can come and take. Or you can walk up with it. That's up to you. But I still invite you, even with your baggage. I've had people say, Jeff, you don't know how bad a sinner I am. I'm like, you don't know how good I am at sinning. I'm really good at it. So you might be a bad sinner, but I'm a really good one. And yet he looks at me and says, come and take. So I'm inviting you today to come and take. Not as a means of salvation, but as a recognition that you need to be saved. That we all need that mediator. But also in the beauty of that, there's hope for all of us. They're going to dismiss you from the back to the front. Tracy, James, come on up. If there's any reason that you cannot come forward, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, Tracy will meet you at your seat. If you say, Jeff, I can't walk up because there's people in here that know what I've done. Tracy's going to meet you right where you are. If you, if you need gluten-free, she'll be in the middle after she serves the people at their seat. So just wait until she gets to the middle. But otherwise, we'll make two lines and you're all welcome to come up. If you need Tracy to come to you, just raise your hand so she knows where you're at. You are here, touching it.
have access to the very throne of God. He's looking at you and he says, come to me and I will give you rest. We think it's about, I got to do just a little more to really earn this thing you're offering. It's offered to you free. He says, come and take it. It's for you. Your sins are forgiven. The past is the past. But we hold ourselves in this box that says, well, I can approach, but I can't do that because I've done this. Jeff, I was this, and now, and then I did this, and now, and I was a believer, and I sinned. You're right, you did. And he looks, and he says, I don't care. He looks, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Don't use that as an excuse, but come into my presence now. Come into my presence. Let's spend time together. That's what I want to encourage you. In 2020, let's spend that time together. That refreshing that Jesus promises us. That refreshing. Let's let him refresh us. Father God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you, God, for the plan and the purpose you have. I thank you for what lies ahead in 2020, even when we're scared, even when we're uncertain about the political stability in a nation. We're uncertain about what's going to happen in the next election. We're uncertain about what's going to happen in the next weeks and months with global events. And yet, you look at us and you say, come and rest in me. You know what's going to happen and yet you still invite us to rest in you. May we look at that as an opportunity. In your name, amen. Two things I want to let you know today. First off, if you want prayer for anything, whether it has to do with what I talked about or anything else, you need prayer for healing. You need prayer for strength. You need prayer for finances. You need prayer for your marriage, for your family. You need prayer for anything. Come and see the prayer people up front. Number two, today is our opportunity to serve at Transform Burien. Many of you go every month. Some of you have never been there. I would encourage you, go and serve those that some people don't even want to look at in our community. I've heard people get mad. I just wish they wouldn't stand outside the store and ask for money. I wish they wouldn't do that. I understand that. You don't want to be bothered. This is our chance to serve those who need. This is our chance to give food and clothing to the least of these. I know some of you guys have other things on your agendas and schedule. I get that. I respect that. But if you don't, if you can clear a couple hours today from 2.30 till 5 o'clock, I invite you, go to Transform Burien and serve people. It helps put us in a mindset of it's not about how much I produce. Maybe it's about what I can come to others. What is Jesus helping me and shaping me to become? So we do need, we always need about 12 to 15 people. Usually we have more than enough, which is great. So you can stand and just talk with the guests. But I invite you, come and do that. Make it, we serve six times a year. Make it a regular part of what we do. All right? It costs nothing but time. We don't ask for any donation for it. Just go and serve people. All right? So if you need prayer, you're looking for an opportunity to get out of your own headspace that makes it about you and into a place that makes it about others, 
there's an opportunity for you. Thank you. Have a great day. We'll see you all soon.